Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and or tax advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. As a reminder, all investments include the risk of loss and past performance is not indicative of future results. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Brent Foster, Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights. Mixed results as interest rate concerns grow. Today is February 21st, 2023, the day after President's Day. And let's review last week. So growing concerns about further interest rate hikes prompted by fresh economic data reversed early week gains and left stocks mixed for the week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average slipped 0.13% while the S&P fell uh, 0.28%. The NASDAQ Composite Index advanced 0.59% for the week. MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, gained 0.52%. So what does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 33,826. Year to date, that's up 2.05%. The NASDAQ closed at 11,787. That's up 12.62% for the year. MSCI EFA index closed at 2,096. That's up 7.83% for the year. The S&P 500 closed at 4,079. Uh, that's up 6.24% for the year. The 10-year treasury note closed at 3.82%. That's up uh, about 0.08% for the week and down about 0.06% for the year. Rate concerns weigh on stocks. Stocks opened last week higher on investor hopes that a continued cooling in inflation might support a more dovish Fed. A higher than expected rise in the consumer price index and strong retail sales in January initially did little to dent that enthusiasm as stocks posted solid gains through Wednesday's close. But that optimism faded on Thursday as a surprising rise in producer prices and another decline in initial jobless claims triggered worries the Fed would stay the course for longer. Comments from two Fed officials supporting a more aggressive rate hike stance added to the unease, erasing much of the week's gains. Stocks ended mixed on Friday, capping a choppy week. Inflation moderation pauses. So consumer prices climbed 0.5% in January, fueled by rising shelter costs and energy prices. The increase in the CPI was higher than the 0.1% rise in December and slightly above the consensus estimates of 0.4%. The year-over-year inflation number, which was 6.4%, came in lower than December's 12-month rise of 6.5%, making it the seventh consecutive month of declining year-over-year inflation. So it's working, Jay Powell raising rates. January's product price report showed a surprise 0.7% increase, higher than the 0.4% rise expected by economists and the biggest jump since June. Year-over-year producer prices rose 6%, a slight improvement from December's number. So this week, key economic data, Tuesday, today, Purchasing Managers Index or PMI flash report, uh, existing home sales, Wednesday, the FOMC minutes, 
Thursday, jobless claims, GDP or gross domestic product. Friday, new home sales, consumer sentiment. Um, let's see. This week, notable companies reporting earnings. We've got Tuesday today. The big talk on the street is Walmart and the Home Depot. And then uh, cybersecurity company, Palo Alto Networks. Wednesday, eBay, the TGX companies, NVIDIA, Diamondback Energy. Thursday, Block, which was formerly known as Square, Pioneer Natural Resources, and Friday, EOG Resources. Thanks for listening today, and we'll keep going. And today I want to go over estate planning and why it matters and some principles of preserving wealth. I have a lot of clients that ask about this uh, topic and I feel like it's necessary to, to, as we start the beginning of 2023, to kind of go over those principles and uh, spend a few minutes to do that. What is the purpose of estate management? Do you guys know? Estate management is about preserving the assets you've spent a lifetime building. It's about protecting your spouse, children, and other heirs and ensuring that your assets are distributed how and when you want them to be. Finally, estate management is about managing the amount of estate taxes that may be due after your death. There are some fundamental estate management principles that can enable you to manage your financial and personal affairs during your lifetime and distribute your wealth after uh, your death. Done well, estate management can make a huge difference. It can enable you to spell out your healthcare wishes in ways that you may help ensure that they are carried out, even if you are unable to communicate. And it can help uh, ensure that your possessions go to the heirs you choose without the endless legal wrangling that can tie up your estate and cause deep divisions within your family. Through effective estate management, you can avoid needless expenses in legal costs, and you can provide for loved ones who may not be protected otherwise. These issues are too important to trust to luck. You need to determine the outcome by planning in advance. We found it helpful to illustrate the various estate management principles and strategies in a pyramid structure. So think of a long, big base, a middle section, and a top section, uh, which is much smaller, tapering as you go towards the point. The foundation is formed by understanding uh, of how estate taxes work. As we move up, we encounter critical estate management documents and at the top, specific tactics for estate management. Let's begin by discussing the foundation of our estate pyramid structure and how estate taxes work. Until 1916, the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was passed in 1913. The one that gives Congress the right to, quote, lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived, end quote. The Revenue Act of 1916 established a state tax. It's been modified over the years, but never repealed. In 2012, the American Tax Relief Act made the estate tax a permanent part of the tax code. In 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act doubled the estate tax exemption to 11.2 million. That law is currently set to expire December 31st, 2025. This hypothetical example I'm about to share with you shows the formula for estimating estate taxes and is actually quite simple. If you don't happen to have a complete set of IRS 
tax tables lying about, which I don't expect you to, but you can estimate the federal estate tax by using a quick formula, beginning with your gro the, the gross value of an estate. So you take the gross value, you subtract the exemption amount of 11,400,000, then you multiply the result by 40%, the federal tax bracket for the estates above 11,400,000 in size. If you complete your estimation and you find you may have an, an estate tax bill, it's possible you may benefit from estate management. There are a number of critical documents you may need to have as part of your estate plan. The first of these is a will. A will is the most basic estate planning document. A will tells the world exactly where you want your assets distributed when you die. Everyone should have a will, but according to one study, roughly 60% of Americans don't have one. That's really short-sighted and not just for the wealthy because if an individual dies intestate or without a will, it's up to the state to decide how his or her assets will be distributed. So would you like to leave uh, your uh, assets in the decisions of your estate up to the state, for example, of Indiana or some other state uh, where you reside? Even if you have a trust, you still need a will to take care of any holdings outside of that trust when you die. A will is really the cornerstone of your estate. Your will names the executor to oversee the process of distributing your estate. It can name a guardian for your minor children, and it can direct how your property is to be distributed. Unfortunately, as important as they are, wills have shortcomings. Wills can be contested. In fact, the probate court will send out a notice of the will to anyone who might have the grounds to contest it. And if someone wants to contest it, there is a potential for a lengthy battle in probate court. Since wills are essentially instructions to the probate court, they are pretty much guaranteed probate. The probate process can be expensive and it can take many months or more than a year to resolve. And probate is a matter of public record, so for the world to see and examine. If the only estate management tool you use is a will, anyone who wants to can find out how much you left and to whom. We'll talk more about how you can potentially avoid probate and distribute your assets to your heirs privately. But first, here are some essential documents that most people should consider having in place. To really take care of your estate, a will isn't the only document you need to have in place. There is actually a whole set of documents that can help you pursue your estate management tools. Among these are advanced directives, which include a living will, power of attorney, and the durable power of attorney for healthcare. There are also financial documents and agreements like joint ownership, durable power of attorney, and living trusts. Back in 2006, the case of Terry Schiavo brought advanced directives to the forefront. As you may remember, Ms. Schiavo was severely incapacitated and her family members battled for years about what should be done. Since Ms. Schiavo did not have a living will, her wishes could not be known in spite of the high profile nature of that case, most Americans still do not have their healthcare documents prepared and have not had a conversation with loved ones about what level of care they want uh, if they're incapacitated. So a living will provides specific instructions about your medical care if you become incapacitated and unable to communicate. It goes into effect immediately upon your incapacity and doesn't need to go through any additional legal proceedings. A power of attorney document authorizes someone to handle legal and financial decisions 
when you become incapacitated. It also goes into effect upon your incapacity or upon any other trigger event you specify. Like a living will, a power of attorney does not need to go through any additional legal proceedings. Individual states can have various power of attorney laws, so consider becoming familiar with your state's particular regulations in order to make a more informed decision. A durable power of attorney, on the other hand, for healthcare, okay, healthcare, uh, 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 that agreement authorizes someone to make decisions for healthcare on your behalf. And like the living will and the power of attorney, it doesn't need to go through any additional legal proceedings. Considering the case of Terry Shivo, would your family know your wishes if you became incapacitated? Contemporary research shows that about 70% of older Americans complete advanced directives before their death. That's up from 30% only a decade ago. So people are becoming more aware of doing this. With extended life expectancy and a variety of treatment options available, the chance that you or someone close to you will benefit from an advanced directive is greater than ever. Just as there are certain essential documents regarding healthcare, there are some critical financial documents in effective estate management. Joint ownership is actually a way of holding title to property. It's useful because if one of the parties dies, the other can assume the ownership without the property having to go through probate. It goes into effect as soon as joint ownership is recorded and it does not need to go through any additional legal proceedings. A durable power of attorney allows you to appoint a person or organization to take care of your financial affairs when you're unable to do so. It is durable because it includes specific language that allows it to remain in effect or to take effect if you become mentally incompetent. It can go into effect immediately or when a specific trigger event occurs, such as incapacity. Powers of attorney can be rescinded at any time and do not need to go through any additional legal proceedings. A living trust is a trust created while you're still alive. Living trusts go into effect when the trust documents are signed and the trust is funded. That is, when you've transferred assets into it, living trusts do not need to go through any additional legal proceedings. Of course, estate management isn't all documents. There are some basic tactics to understand as well. The first of these is simple. Give money away while you're still alive. The tax code allows an individual to give up to $17,000 as of 2023 without triggering any gift or estate taxes. So giving away $17,000 per person without triggering any gift or state taxes that's of 2023. And those are index numbers. So they do change uh, as years go by. If you and your spouse both make gifts, that's up to $34,000 in uh, as of 2023 that you could give away combined. However, if a person gives away, say, uh, 18,000 to someone. So $1,000 more than you should, the person must pay gift tax on the remaining thousand. There's an annual exclusion. So the annual exclusion amount is indexed for inflation, which is measured by the consumer price index or CPI. It rises in $1,000 increments as the CPI increases. So in 2023, an individual can give away up to uh, 12, $0.92 million um, in his or her lifetime without owing any federal tax. 
Couples can leave up to twice that without owing any federal tax. Also keep in mind that some states have their own estate tax regulations, so you got to check on those. Trusts can be another powerful estate management tool. A trust is a legal entity that can own property. Properly structured trusts completely avoid probate and avoid the delays and expense that often accompany probate. Trusts are not a matter of public record. They're a tool for maintaining privacy. Trusts can provide an effective management of your assets and their distribution to your heirs. And even after your death, trusts can provide some measure of control over how assets are distributed to children and other beneficiaries. In addition, trusts are much more difficult to contest than a will. Using a trust involves a complex set of tax rules and regulations. Before moving forward with the trust, consider working with a professional who is familiar with the rules and regulations, like an estate planning attorney. How does a trust work? First, you establish a trust, then you transfer ownership of some or all of your property into the trust. That makes you the grantor, the one who grants the assets. The new trust will then be managed by a trustee. And since you can make yourself the trustee, you don't actually give up any control over the property you put in the trust. In the trust document, you name those you want to inherit everything in the trust upon your death. You can change those choices if you wish, and you can revoke them at any time. When you die, <clears throat> the person you named in the trust document to take over called the successor trustee transfers ownership of everything in the trust to the people you want to get it. In most cases, the whole process can be handled quickly with simple paperwork and nothing has to go through the delays and expense of probate. There are several types of trusts to answer different estate challenges. It's important to work with a professional to find the right trust vehicle, one that will protect your loved ones when you are no longer there to make financial decisions. What do you need to consider when putting together a management plan for your estate? There are two crucial factors to consider. First, what's the value of your estate? As you make this calculation, make sure you include all the property that you control or have an interest in. This includes personal property, your home, real estate, cash, and bank accounts, investments, retirement plans, business interests, and life insurance, including the death benefits. In 2023, the gross value of your estate must exceed $12.92 million in order for you to be subject to the federal estate tax. But even if you're not, you should consider getting your estate and healthcare documents in order so that your wishes may be carried out. Second... What are your estate management objectives? Ask yourself the following questions. Whom do you want to inherit your assets? Whom do you want handling your financial affairs if you were ever incapacitated? Whom do you want making medical decisions for you if you become unable to make them yourself? Do you want to provide for your spouse if you should die first? Do you have young children to provide for? If your children are grown, do you want to distribute your estate assets equitably? If not, perfectly equally? Will you need to provide cash to help your heirs settle your estate? Principles of estate management are important for many reasons. Here are some scenarios that may be familiar. Anthony and Selena, a couple with children, ask, what is the best way to gift assets to our children and grandchildren? We have a blended family. What type of trust would be appropriate for us? Dave and Christine ask, uh, they're, and they're a retired couple. They want to know, 
Is a living trust worth the trouble and expense to set up? What is the best way for us to take title of our assets? Rebecca, a single parent and business owner wonders, how shall I protect my business interests in the event of my passing? Do I have all the critical documents I need in case of a catastrophic change in my health? Isaac likes to do research online. He asks, are the critical healthcare documents I downloaded legally binding? How can I make sure I avoid probate and estate taxes? The answers to these and other concerns will vary with each individual situation and can all be addressed in a review with an estate planning attorney. Um, you can start with a financial advisor to get some advice on how, where to go and maybe get a referral to a, a qualified professional in that space. But we're happy to help here at Northbound Wealth Management with that process of estate planning. And I hope you enjoyed some principles that you can uh, take away from this conversation. If you have any questions, you can reach us at 317-399-1107. 317-399-1107. And thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, this article is for those who are young or who have kids or grandkids saving early and letting time work for you. As a young investor, you have a powerful ally on your side, and that's time. When you start investing in your 20s or 30s for retirement, you can put it to work for you. The power of compounding, many people underestimate it, so it's worth illustrating. Let's take a look at using a hypothetical 5% rate of return. So how does it work? A simplified example goes like this. Let's take a look at using a hypothetical 5% rate of return on a principal of $100. After a year, you earn 5% interest or $5. Another year, another 5%, which adds $5.25 this time. In the third year, your 5% interest earned amounts to $5.51, bringing your balance to $115.76. The more money you deposit, the greater that 5% returns. Let's look at another hypothetical example. If you were to start with $1,000 principal in your account that earns 5% interest per year, and contribute $1,000 a year to the account, you would end up with a total of $7,078.20 after five years. That's a total of $1,078.20 earned in compound interest from $6,000 in contributions. That's co That compounding continues even if you stop making deposits. All you really need to do is let that money stay put. The earlier you start, the greater the compounding potential. So if you're investing for retirement in your 20s, you may gain an advantage over someone who waits until uh, they're in their 30s to begin investing. Even if you start early and then stop, you may be in a better position than those who begin later. What if you contribute $5,000 to a retirement account yearly starting at age 25 and then stop at age 35 with no new money going into the account for the next 30 years. That is hardly ideal yet. Should it happen, you still might come out ahead of someone who begins saving for retirement later or starting at a later point because time isn't working for them. 
as much as it is for you who started earlier. So food for thought as you're thinking about compounding interest, saving, and also a keynote is this, since Jay Powell's raised interest rates, the treasury market has come back, um, inflation is trending down, but treasuries, which are guaranteed by the government, they have different durations. The one-year treasury note is at 5%. So you don't have to take a lot of risk in order to get your money really working for you. And if you have any questions about treasury bills or how to invest, if you're ready to invest, please give us a call at Northbound Wealth Management. We're here to answer any of the questions you have. 317-399-1107. Found wealth management, and this is our technical analysis spotlight. Um, what I want to do is just touch on where we're at right now in this, in the S and P 500, and the S and P 500 is testing its 50% retracement line. So basically, the S and P hasn't reached its August high, but it, it was testing the resistant line which um, the Fibonacci uh, lines to the S&P 500 measured from last January's high, which is uh, the beginning of the year of 2022 to its October low of 2022. And it shows the S&P meeting resistance at its 50% retracement. So um, that's a normal spot to expect some profit taking. The S&P 500 remains above its moving average lines, which keeps its uh, 2023 uptrend intact, despite uh, this week's uptick in CPI and PPI inflation. So, um, And also, I want to note that commodity prices remain on the defensive. So um, really watching um, to see if we're going to break out above uh, that 50% retracement um, that I discussed. So uh, we'll see where things end up. Um, bond yields are probably going to go up a little bit more. We'll see if we get a sell-off in bond yields. Hard to tell right now, uh, but we're following the Fed. And um, it looks like consumer discretionary and bank stocks today, specifically, uh, in which is the 21st of February, are leading the market lower and uh, continuing a bit of a uh, a sell-off here. Uh, we are watching the 4,000, uh, well, the 3,800, 3,900, and 4,000 levels in the S&P 500. And if those uh, break or break down, then we'll probably see a gap down to retest some some lower confluence levels um, around 3,600, 3,500, 3,600 on the S&P. So here's to another week. It's exciting. There's a lot of earnings coming out. March isn't here yet. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Usually on the heels of March, we have a few good months. Um, but this year, who knows? Who knows where we're going to end up? A lot of the strategists for the big banks are all saying the market started the year where it'll end for 2023. And that doesn't give a lot of confidence to folks uh, looking at a flat year in the market. But strategists are known to be wrong. And uh, we just got to see how the market's going to fall through this time and um, track those those trends and those levels, the 200-day, the 50-day, and then uh, the Fibonacci retracements, and then the breath indicators, the VIX, as well as uh, the full stochastics and kind of put together a study 
not just leaning on fully on one indicator, but a full-on study of technical analysis, marrying that with fundamental analysis, and then making decisions on a go-forward basis looking uh, of what the rear view mirror looks like, but then always looking at what is going on modeled forward. So uh, have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys.